We are going to jump right into today's message. We've been in a series called Organic. We've been looking at the pastoral epistles or letters that are written by Paul to Timothy and a man named Titus. And so we've been in 1 Timothy uh, for several weeks. And now today we're going to jump into 2 Timothy. But I have not covered every one of those chapters and verses. But you should. (laughs) You should read through them. They're really good. They're pretty short. Um, Essentially, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about something uh, which the old-timers had a phrase for, and I'll use it today. Maybe we can start the trend and bring it back. They use this phrase, and it is the phrase, backslide. Oops, did somebody shut the camera off? No, I'm kidding. Backslide. It's an old school term, but it has a modern relevancy today. Paul clearly tells Timothy that it is possible to walk away from your faith in God and depart from your faith. Uh, This would be, in other terms, a relapse. It would be reverting to the old way of doing things. It would be something called retrogression. We always say the word progression, we're looking for progress, but this would be going backwards and not forwards. And Paul makes it clear in 1 Timothy 4 that it's possible. And that's not the only place in scripture that it talks about that. So even though it's an old school term, it definitely is still having a modern relevancy today. And I say that to be very clear to you. We're stepping through scripture to help us understand the word of God. And I want you to know this is not our denominational dogma. This is the word of God. So you should read 1 Timothy chapter 4. Because the truth is we were all created with a free will. That free will can be found, the evidence of it can be found in every page of scripture and in every day of your life. That's, that's true and factual. So it's understood that if you can choose to believe, you can also, this is not proper grammar, you can choose to unbelieve or choose to no longer believe. There are denominations out there and groups of people who I love dearly, but they are misguided. They have a theology based in what they see through God's word that once you are saved, you are always saved. It doesn't matter what you do, where you go, and how you live your life. And that is simply not the case according to scripture. Scripture declares you are as saved as you choose to be. I want you to think about that. And by all means, if you're challenged by those statements, dig deep into God's word. It has the answers. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. A majority of scholars believe that um, 2 Timothy was the last letter that Paul wrote that's included in the Bible. So we're going to go to 2 Timothy. I'll highlight two other things real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 5 talks about generosity and the limitations within the side, inside of the church. It talks about who you should give to when they are in need, who should take care of who. It also actually talks about something that is challenging to talk about today, which is in that chapter and proceeding after that, it talks about what 
Slaves and masters should behave like. If you were a believing master and had slaves and servants in those days, God had a prescription for the way you were to treat people. And for those who were slaves, how you were to honor your master. So look at those scriptures and read through them. They're very interesting. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 today. Paul says to Timothy in verse 1, But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. So stop for just a moment and think about this. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to Timothy, who's a leader in the church. We said that the church that Timothy is at in those days, in that time of receiving these letters, is the church in the city of Ephesus. So Paul is telling Timothy, in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. He says that as a general statement to Timothy about the church. So you need to understand and follow along. Look at what verse 2 says. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, they'll be unappeasable or unable to be made happy. They'll be slanderous. Has anybody ever said something bad about you? Was it true? (laughs) Don't shake your head right now. Um, Sometimes what they say is true, but slander would be talking about someone in a bad way to try to bring down their character, something that's not based in facts. It says they'll be without self-control. They'll be brutal. They'll not love good. Verse 4 says, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. They'll be lovers of pleasure. Me, 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 me rather than lovers of God. Verse 5 says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. If I'm reading that correctly, he's talking still to Timothy about the difficult times coming, and he's talked about character traits and behavior patterns of people, but then he drops this bomb and says, having the appearance of godliness, The world does not have the appearance of godliness. The church does. They'll have the appearance of looking godly, but denying its power. He issues a three-sentence, very declarative command. Avoid such people. Verse 6, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Have you ever met a smart, dumb person? (laughs) I have. So they are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Look at what verse 8 says, and this is it gets a little bit weird. It says, just as Janies and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all 
as was that of those two men. We'll talk about who those two men were in just a second. But Paul is telling Timothy that there's trouble that's coming for the church in the last days. And that, my friends, is the title of today's message. It is the last days. Believers in every time period have talked about the last days. Since the days of Jesus, in the days of Jesus. His disciples asked him, Hey, Jesus, how will we know the last days are here? Jesus talks to them and walks them through some of the details of that. Today, I'm not going to talk to you about a blood moon or about the state of Israel becoming a a nation again like it did back in the 40s. I'm not going to talk about historic events and things that we think can line up in certain directions. What I'm going to tell you is that Jesus himself said that no man knows the day or the hour of his return. So we can sit around and interestingly look through scripture and try to see threads and connect dots and do all of those things. But the important truth is this. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Amen? And so we believe that as a church. In fact, in different time periods, we've swung in different directions. And there have been moments like the 80s and the 90s. How many of you were a Christian in the 80s or the 90s? Okay, several of us. So in the 80s or the 90s, there was a heavy, prominent teaching. Jesus is coming back. He could come back tomorrow. Get right with God. And I I don't make light of that. I'm just telling you, it seemed like every message had that bent. And I don't know if that was such a bad thing. But it turned some people off and we started to settle into a little bit of a different path or flow into the point of today where we probably, if it's a pendulum, have swung so far in the other direction, seems like we don't talk about it at all. So we've got to be somewhere in the middle and be balanced. But I remember growing up in those days. I'm a kid who was in the 80s. And I remember in the 90s, thank God, I still think I'm a kid at heart, but that doesn't mean anything because my body is weak. It's old and frail and I've got gray hair. But I will tell you this. I remember this one day specifically. I was in my early teenage years and I was coming home from school My mother was always home when I got home, and I remember getting home and she not being there. I can remember other days where there was a note left. Hey, ran to the store, be back at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, whatever the case may be. And I remember getting home that day and not seeing a note and calling out and saying, Mom, Mom, and her not being there. And I can remember hearing the messages from the pastors and the preachers in that moment. And I can tell you, if you've ever been a teenager, you have sin in your life when you are a teenager. You have sin in your life probably today as an older person. But I'm telling you, fear (laughs) gripped my soul. I'm telling you, I went around that house. I couldn't find her. I called out. I couldn't. There's no note on the fridge, no note on the counter. Mom, where are you? And all of a sudden, and it probably was a Monday, and I probably heard a message on Sunday about it. But I'm telling you, I got right with God like that. 
I went and turned on the TV and I was looking for the news because surely they're going to be reporting. There are millions of people that have been sucked off of the planet and you've been left behind. I remember, I mean, there were tears. Did you laugh? I'm laughing now, but I was not laughing then. There were tears. There was real, true repentance. And mom came home. She'd got stuck at the store or out doing an errand of some sort and thought she'd be home before I got home, so she didn't leave a note. But she did come back, and I stayed right with God for a time, (laughs) thinking, okay, well, that was a good test run. Let's see if this is going to, you know. So we're warned about the return of Jesus Christ in Scripture. And I should say it like this. The world is warned or should be warned about his return. But we, as believers who are living right should be looking forward to his return with hope. I never understood the old folks when I was a young folk saying, even so, Lord, come quickly. Amen. Oh, I can't wait to get out of this body and go to my heavenly home. I thought, you're crazy. This world is pretty great. Now these days, I think to myself, even so, Lord, come quickly. Jesus, I have hope. Please don't let me have to finish raising these children. Lord, this is a crazy place. So we're warned in scripture not to set a date for it, but to live ready. The word imminent is an important word. You probably haven't used it this week in any phrase or any sentence, but it means could happen at any time. It is imminent. And Paul is telling Timothy about these behaviors as signposts. He didn't say, okay, now you've got to tick all of these boxes and make sure that they are angry people who disobey parents and they slander. If they don't do all three, then I'm not coming back just yet. He didn't say it like that in a chronology sort of way. But let me ask you this. Are those behaviors present in society and even the church today? Very much so. So the point is, we've got to live ready. And Paul tells Timothy, you should avoid such people. Well, wait a second, pastor. I thought we were inclusive. If you come, you must come willingly. And you must choose to take the path of faith, which is a path of progression to being like Christ. Yes, we include all in the welcome. But not all will be included in his welcome when we get home. We've got to understand this. So let's talk about verse 8 and 9 because it's really weird. And let's just cover this really quickly before we talk a little bit more about the last days. Verse 8 says, these two men's names, and I looked up how to pronounce them so I didn't sound like an idiot. Jannies, which I feel bad that his mom named him that, and Jambres, same thing, opposed Moses. So I looked into scripture and started studying. This is the only place in scripture that these two names appear. So who were these guys? Longstanding Jewish tradition tells us that these two men were the two chief magicians who stood against Moses in the court of Pharaoh when Moses was displaying, Moses and Aaron together were displaying signs and wonders 
in front of Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Let God's people go. So it says that Aaron in the book of Exodus Chapter 7, Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it turned into a snake and began slithering. Pharaoh then summoned his magicians and those people who were working dark magic, and they did the same thing. I want you to consider that. It says that these two men, these magicians... They threw down their staffs and they became snakes as well. But my God prevails. And he's always more powerful than the enemy. The enemy may try to cause confusion and say, wait a second, and cause people to have that thought. But do you know what happened in Exodus chapter 7 in that moment? The rod that had been thrown down, that staff that had been thrown down by Aaron that was turned into a snake, turned and swallowed up the other two that were just created by those magicians. God proving his power. You say, well, pastor, that sounds kind of weird. Is there really another realm? Yes, there is. There are dark powers and spiritual things going on that are going against God's work, even against his work here in our church. And sometimes they can even look like they appear godly, but they're not at the core. These sorcerers, though, there's something else they did. When Aaron was able to turn the water into blood they were able to do the same thing. The Bible doesn't say they opened up a pack of red dye number five and poured it in the water. It says that they actually accomplished this. So there was something very strange, but the sorcerers were unable to continue to duplicate the plagues. Those two things was all they had in their bag of tricks, but God delivered his people. Can I get an amen? So Jewish tradition from very early days says that these two names are the names of those men who were in Pharaoh's court. They were powerless to fully duplicate what God was doing. So the point is this. There have always been and there are still today those who oppose the truth. You may have met them. You may have sat beside them at some point. You may have been one of them, but now you're redeemed, praise God. And I'm thankful. But the Bible says we are instructed to avoid them. Here's a dad joke, like the plague. Okay, did you get it? Okay, we were just talking about the plagues. Okay, so what do we believe about the last days? How many of you have heard stuff about the last days before? How many of you have ever bought a book about them? How many of you have ever seen a movie about them? Okay, disastrous scenes in movies with the rapture taking place and the pilot of the plane, the commercial jetliner just gets sucked out and his clothes neatly folded right there on the seat. I'm like, okay, well, I guess we do go to heaven naked, but that's a really weird thing to put in the movie. Okay, so what do we believe about the last days? We believe that Jesus is coming back for his church And that his imminent return, you can write this down, take a picture of the screen. It's a very succinct and direct way of putting it. Jesus' imminent return from heaven will be personal, visible, and glorious 
It is a blessed hope for which we are told in Scripture to constantly watch and pray. While I was reading through this week and studying about this message, I began to think back. It just, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or just the way my mind worked, but I thought of that moment in the garden with Jesus and his sleepy disciples, and he's asking them, could you not just watch and pray with me for a while? And we're told that we should be constantly watching and praying. So before Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth, Jesus will come for his church. This is an event that is commonly referred to as the rapture. But can I tell you something? The word backslide is technically not in scripture, but it is a real thing. The word rapture is not in scripture, but it is a real thing. The word Trinity does not appear in scripture, but it is a real thing. So I need you to just follow along with me and understand we call it the rapture. At that time, the dead in Christ will be raised from the ground. Their physical bodies will be raised from the ground. Now, this may strike some questions. Are you an organ donor? Did you mark that on your license? If you, if you gave your heart to somebody in death, does the heart come out of that beating chest into that body? And come? I, I don't know all the answers to all the things. If you want to be an organ donor, great. If you don't, great. I don't know. But there are questions that come up when we talk about stuff like this. The dead in Christ will rise. Their spirits and souls are in heaven and they will be reunited with their physical body that is from the earth and they will be taken to heaven. That will happen very quickly and those who are alive who are believers will meet the Lord in the air as well to be with him forever. This is called the resurrection of the saints. We will no longer be in these unredeemed bodies. Can I get an amen? We'll no longer need a hospital. We'll no no longer need a doctor visit. We'll no longer need prayer for healing. We'll be in redeemed bodies. Those who have died in Christ will have their souls, their spirits united with their bodies, and they will be changed. Christians living at the same time will not die. They will not see death, but they will be changed as well and taken together. This should, hear me clearly, based on my teenage story I shared, this should, the reality of it, should motivate you to holy living. That's what it did for me that day. (laughs) And there's a real-time experience that I had, is that I, well, Jesus, if there's any chance, if you're on like 7,599,000 and you've got one more to get, God, get me, take me with you. Lord, please. So maybe we shouldn't live in that fear. We should live in hope and be ready and living holy. But it should also be a source of comfort. We share this scripture. Some of the scripture I'll share with you in just a moment. We share it in funeral homes and at graveside burials. That we don't grieve like the world grieves. Because we've got hope living inside of us. Knowing I'm going to see that person again. That's a great thing. 
No man knows the day or the hour when this will take place. Let's get out of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians really quickly. And I'm going to just show you a pattern throughout Scripture today. And then I'll give you some practical help before we close. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says this, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. That's my motto. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. When he says asleep, that's translated asleep, but it means no longer awake forever. That means you're dead. Okay, About those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Verse 14, for since we believe, now this is so logical and it makes perfect sense. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed. That means we won't go first, those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud cry, a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, what's it there for? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How can I find encouragement in that? I know that God has not only redeemed me for the here and now, but he wants to keep me for the then and there. Amen? Go with me to Titus. The verses will be on your screen if you can't get there quick enough. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. Paul writing to Titus, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It's available to anyone who chooses it. Verse 12 says, Training us to renounce. Well, would you look at that list? It sure sounds like it's a lot from the other list we just read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Training us to renounce, to turn away from ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. These words were not penned simply for us to read them 2,000 years later. There was also things, there were also things going on in the church those days that said Jesus died, he resurrected, and he's coming back maybe tomorrow. And then people were saying, well, if he's coming back tomorrow, I mean, like, hey, what's the big deal? And there were tons of different theologies being formed. And so Paul is trying to correct that and make sure that Timothy and Titus and the church in Thessalonica and all these places understood, okay, this is the process that we understand from God. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we do know that it's going to happen. And it's a good thing. It's a blessed hope. Amen. Look at what first Corinthians chapter 15 says, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, behold in verse 51, 
I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So you're not all going to die. There will come a moment where there's still people who are living on the planet when Jesus comes back and those who are dead who believe in him. So he goes, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. I don't know if you tried to venture out to the grocery store this week, but it was mayhem. I thought to myself last night after finishing some study for the message and going over notes and things, I thought I'm going to run to Kroger and go get a few things really quick just to have us ready for the next few days until we grocery grocery shop. Well, I got there and it looked like Y2K. (laughs) Do y'all remember? Are y'all old enough to remember that? Okay. It looked like, I mean, all the bread was gone except for like the nasty stuff. All the milk was gone. There's giant paper signs on the thing. All milk and dairy products limit two per customer. There was no creamer left. I'm like, really? That many people? Y'all needed that much coffee in four or five days? You're thinking it's the end of the world. It's not. Here's the point of what I'm getting to. Even the canned goods were gone. They were stocking up. Not sure how long this is going to last. But you know what? All of that is what we call perishable. It's all going to expire at some point, even if it's a canned good that's got a three-year extension on it or a lifespan. That's what Paul is saying. The dead will be raised imperishable, never to be in a body that gets destroyed again by disease or sickness. And we shall all be changed. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. Go with me there. And this is the last passage that we'll read today. Matthew chapter 24, you say, Pastor, there's a whole lot of other things I've heard about the end days, the last days, the end times, whatever you want to call it. Um, Are we pre-tribulation? Are we going to suffer? Are we post-tribulation? Are we the cool kids and we're middle of the tribulation? Today is not that message. Today is simply the message that Jesus is returning. Look at what he says about his return. Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Go back and read in Genesis what the days of Noah were like. And even though it uses different language than we might be used to, it sure looks a whole lot like the world we're currently living in today. And then Jesus says this in verse 44, therefore you must, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Worship team, would you come? At the end of our time together each Sunday, each service that we have, we always have just a moment of corporate worship. It gives you an opportunity to be able to connect with God and to, I'll say it like the old preachers used to say, get right with God. It also gives you a moment to commit and say, Lord, I'm committing today to fill in the blank, whatever that is for the message. 
And so that's my challenge to you today. A couple of questions that I ask you to just think about during this last moment that we're together in God's presence. The question that really is the most important is, are you ready to go? I'm not talking about lunch today. Are you ready? It's a sincere question and it should be asked from from us to others. Are you living ready? He could come back any moment. He may come back before my children. I remember having that, that feeling as a child and a teenager. Lord, don't come back till I can get married. Don't come back till I grow up. Lord, don't come back till I have kids. Fill in the blank, you know, of the things that we wanted. But the thing is, he's going to come back and it could be any moment. Are we ready to go? And the next question is, if we're ready to go, are we living with the expectation of his return? Are we doing what he asked us to do, which is to hope and pray and look forward with hope that he's coming back? Society is definitely showing the signs that we are living in days that are nearing the end. And we as believers ought to be living with hope and be prepared. But then the further and the last question is this, if I'm ready and if I'm praying, Lord, come back, am I sharing my faith with others? It's too important to be shy about. It's too important to to blame it on your introverted leanings. It's too important to keep quiet when it comes to your family and to your friends. And I'm not telling you that you've got to be the crazy one that gets on the news with a giant sign standing out at a street corner. Don't do that. That turns people off. What you need to do is you need to work your way in a network of people that you know, friends, family, co-workers, and bring up the conversation. Do you truly believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is there, are there things in your life that's preventing you from feeling that closeness with Him? We need to be evangelizing our world. And if you're not you feel like there's a place that's lacking in you, then commit today. Lord, let me live passionately for you. Let me share this blessed hope with others. Stand with me today. I'm not sure which one of those questions fits to you specifically, but I'm going to give this one general instruction. And that is this. If you aren't ready to go and you want to be ready to go, it's a simple process. You literally, according to scripture, You accept Jesus' love and forgiveness. You confess your sins and say, I'm a sinner and I believe in you that you died and rose again for me. And then you choose to walk in faith and believe in him. You join a church family, you pray, you go to church, you start doing all the things that are required, but none of that is required at the outset. You don't have to be dressed in the perfect clothes, in the perfect scenario, in the right place at the right time. There is none of that. Any time is the right time. Any place is the right place. It can be in a hotel room. It could be in a car ride across the country. It could be on vacation. It could be in a business meeting. It can be anywhere at any time that you can literally say, Jesus, I believe in you. I want to live for you. 
Forgive me of my sin. I confess I'm a sinner. Take me into your family. It's that simple. So you can do that today. Close your eyes with me. Lord, I thank you that you let me live all the days from that day in my teenage years. I thank you for your grace that's guided me and brought me to this place today. Lord, I thank you that I had the opportunity today to share your word about us being ready, being ready for your return. I pray, Lord, as the arrows of your word have struck our hearts, that you would help us to commit today to live ready, to live with expectation, expectation for your return. And Lord, that we would share our faith with others so that all who will would come to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we